it's Loom Group's Andrea Lay, Backview's Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Hills Shree, and I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom, and I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. Be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CPG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th, and it's time for the Fresh Four, for curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. We're brought to you through our partnership with Retail Wit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news, retailwit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Shree. In case you're wondering what this background is, I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization on their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding offsite. This is said by Sara Marzano, principal analyst at eMarketer. For advertisers, the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea. Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so, Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect, an in-store retail media network powered by Quad Graphics Inc. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all the Savemark companies, approximately 200 stores. This is Savemark's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter. Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats' partnership for alcohol delivery in eight states. Nearly 1,000 Rite Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailers' expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of legal drinking aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote, our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet the evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the Fresh Four. Now on to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our hosts, Sri Raj Gopalan, 
Peter V.S. Bond, and Brian Gildenberg. Explore how brands and retailers engage consumers in an increasingly digitally driven world. And now, here are the CPG guys. Hello, folks, and welcome to this episode of the CPG Guys podcast, where we explore the omnichannel digital journey of brands and retailers. Of course, your co-host, Sri, and please listen to my daughter, Ria Raj's music at www.riarajmusic.com. That's www.rhearajmusic.com. And be sure to follow my older other daughter, Lara, as she competes in the new global K-pop band competition known as Dream Academy. She's down to the final 20 and uh, more to come pretty soon on that. My co-pilot in this podcast venture and, of course, co-hosting today's episode is none other than Mr. Peter V.S. Bond, the Partnership Acceleration Lead at Flywheel Digital and, of course, well-known as a Dodgers guy. Peter, how are you, man? Shri, I'm doing great. I'm so excited about, uh, you know, I've already been excited when when Rhea was named the uh, Spotify Asia Pacific Artist of the Month back in April and had that huge billboard in Times Square. And now here's Lara uh, appearing in this huge global K-pop competition known as Dream Academy. I mean, she's all, if I go on to Google and I just type in Lara Raj and it's like so many articles about her. It's really got to be pretty exciting for you and Kavita. It is pretty crazy when you think about it, Peter. Of course, by the time this is released, we'll know the next fate for Laura, whether she made the next cut. So time will tell, but indeed, it is a unique moment for the family. So thank you for recognizing that, Peter. But before we get to our guests, let me remind all our listeners to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform. And if you use Apple or Spotify, please do give us a rating because not only does it help feed the algorithm and make it more findable you also tell us how we're doing and if we have the right guests and right conversations we want to really tell you how honored we are to be rated the number one cpg podcast for two years in a row according to feedspot the leading feeds um, podcast ranking authority and we're very pleased to have also been in the top 20 with us our sister cast such as cpg scoop cpg guys fast forward and the fmcg guys Peter and I are also very happy to be formal sponsors of Next Up, whose mission it is to advance all women in business. Here, Shri here would have um, be appearing at the Next Up Summit here in Chicago over the course of September. Do find me there if you're actually attending and let's say hello. Links to our podcast, our sister podcast, and our landing page on Next Up will be found in the digital liner notes of this episode easily. So, Peter, I'm going to get to the mean event. Peter and I are excited that this episode's focus will be back with a beloved brand of ours, We've had so many previous guests, and that is none of, none other than the most refreshing beverage in the world, Coca-Cola. Today's guest is the global director, shopper, and channel insights at the Coca-Cola company. He spent 13-plus years of experience equally between the insights and brand-building functions, operating in culturally diverse and different markets in Africa, Middle East, North America, driven by his passion for innovative thinking, rounding business decision-making, into consumer and human centricity, the thrill in finding and developing talent. Join Peter and me in welcoming to the podcast, none other than Walid Benchama. Welcome, Walid. How are you? I'm doing good. Super thrilled to share this conversation with both of you guys. And quite frankly, a little bit intimidated as well, because um, following up on the great act that you had on the podcast. So super, super happy and thrilled to, uh, to be with you today. No reason to be intimidated here. Uh, we are thrilled when we have someone from Coca-Cola. So thank you for joining us today. Before we get to the questions we've prepared for our convo, 
Would you please share with our audience a brief overview of both Coca-Cola, which it's most likely the whole world knows, and your role there as well? Absolutely. I mean, at the Coca-Cola company, we've been refreshing the world for over 135 years by now um, with a portfolio of 200 plus beverage brands around the world. So from the trademark Coca-Cola to sports drinks, um, juice and dairy drinks, and most recently our expansion into the ready-to-drink alcoholic beverages. Um, I am part of the global human insights and marketing performance team in my scope predominantly uh, focuses on the unified commerce journeys, channels, futures, um, proper-facing communication testing, and also marketing at the POC excellence, POC as platform of commerce, and everything that has to do with pricing and RGM behavioral approaches. Thank you for that. And we'll, of course, include links to your LinkedIn profile, the Coca-Cola corporate website, and the digital liner notes of this podcast episode, as I mentioned before so that the 90% plus of people listening to this episode on their mobile devices can easily learn more as they listen. Peter, are you ready? You ready for the first one? I'm going to go. Walid, your career journey obviously crosses countries, cultures, and is both brand management and insights. Take us through the years graduating college in Morocco to BIC and now Coca-Cola. Absolutely. I mean, my humble journey so far started at the Nielsen Company where for two years um, I led the accounts of Coca-Cola and Procter & Gamble for North Africa, and I was part of their retail measurement uh, services uh, unit. I then joined the Coca-Cola company um, in the former North and West Africa business unit in knowledge and insight. And then after another two years, uh, I made the switch to brand management, um, working predominantly on the soft drinks portfolio, five years on Coca-Cola, and then another year leading the rest of the portfolio of brands in the soft drinks category. And then I kind of fancied a bigger life challenge. So I decided to immigrate to Canada. Um, and then my first gig there was uh, with BIC, the lighters company. It was a very interesting change of industries, but it was also during that time where cannabis was being legalized um, in Canada. So that particular context, for the, for the lighters industry was a turning point, and it was interesting to witness that from within. And then literally after a year, um, I joined the mothership uh, in Canada for uh, Coca-Cola, and I was leading the insight uh, function. I have to say that starting in insights actually made me a better marketeer later on, because I was able to um, make a better use of the insights, really understand um, what actionable insights to use, be more, you know, out there listening to the, to the consumers and shoppers that we, that we target and serve. And also when I made the switch back to human insights, I was able to be a better insights practitioner because I've walked in the shoes of my stakeholders. And so I was, um, better equipped to understand the language, but also be very, exercise a lot of empathy to what they have to deal with, their challenges. Um, so that my added value to them was more, uh, was actually elevated. Wally, thank you for joining us. It is so great to have you on the podcast. And Sri and I, having both come from the carbonated beverage category at one point in our, our careers, we're just so happy to talk to someone who is 
uh, cut from the same cloth, shall we say. So <laughs> that's great. And then add on to that, uh, you used human insights. I really love that term as opposed to customer insights or shopper insights for humans, right? And I think that's what it's all about. So let's talk a little talk about, you know, what from your perspective has really changed in in the shopper journeys that are taking place over the last few years, particularly around the path to purchase. Like, is digital really what's leading the path to purchase at this point? If it's not leading, is it a central contributing factor? I mean, what do you think? Um, what do you think about the influence digital is now having on the shopper journey in particular? Yeah, look, I, I strongly believe that the that the journeys of our consumers and shopper are slowly becoming more aligned to the way we function as human beings, i.e., more horizontal and more in the, uh, in the moment. So, people now are enabled to um, search, consider, and purchase uh, brands where they typically allocate most of their attention and time. Um, but where I see that we're not still there yet is when it comes to navigating that environment, um, which is way too vertical right now. And it's just a reflection of how industrialism has changed and shaped our world. Uh, but if you think about it, it's not the way we operate um, as a species. So for as long as we existed, um, we've been creatures of emotions, we've been creatures of mindset and, and mood, and that's how we survived since our first inception. So. Um, I think the, this is where digital, I believe, can help us to design a more human-centric engagement model and experience journeys. So uh, I envision a future where, you know, I could open my grocery app um, and based on my mood, for example, if I'm feeling a bit down and I'm looking for comfort, then I can actually browse my options based on that. And so all the suggested products, and brands and categories will be catered to that mood and mindset where I'm in um, or what we'd like to call the job to be done. And imagine also if um, I'm shopping for a specific uh, or a special occasion. Again, instead of vertically going through every single category, I'm actually being served all the relevant products that would fit that particular occasion that I am uh, shopping for. And so when you think about certain activation that may sound odd, like the non-endemic advertising, it's actually not very odd if you think about it, because for the same mindset or for the same jobs to be done, many products, many solutions, or even services can actually be considered as a solution for that particular jobs to be done. And so being visible and engaging with your audience in all the places where your offer can actually be considered as a potential solution it's just incremental visibility and relevancy that you give to your brand. Um, but I do believe that the challenge remains how even thinner do you spread your actual resources in a landscape that is becoming more and more fragmented. So, again, it, it's very utopian probably because we're going to go, be going against the operating principles of that, uh, of that industrialism model. But I truly believe that that's what would eventually elevate the shopper experiences and enable our activation mechanism to actually be more effective because we're not forcing our audience and their brains to fight uh, an operating mode that it, we're not actually uh, designed for and it can be quite draining 
for our uh, our audience. I like how you used a little bit of AI right up front out there in terms of when we're sitting down and relaxing, you use the word comfort. That would be nice indeed to see. But I'm thinking brand now and everything you just said in the context of innovation launches, right? So obviously last three years, commodity challenges meant there was much less innovation in the ecosystem that is changing again. Do you think as innovation launches actually come back, they are actually the right way to get them into the marketplaces, lead with digital, follow with brick and mortar, or is it the opposite way still? Well, look, I think we all belong or used to belong to this, do CPG brands that still rely heavily on brick and mortar um, business. And I think there is so many things we can learn from the digitally native uh, brands, which quite frankly excel at monetizing the attention and engagement that they create out there. So I would articulate the digital first into more of a digital must. Whether you use it for experimentation at scale, whether you use it for your in-market pilots, or simply you make it the core commerce approach of your innovation, I see digital as an enabler. But it can only play that role if we are uh, retail-ready in all the digital commerce platforms that we choose to, to leverage. So commerce is everywhere now which is actually both an opportunity because then every moment of engagement can be turned into a first moment of truth. But then it requires that you become um, very, like you need to develop that extreme dexterity in supply chain and fulfillment. You need to have the right partnerships in place. And you need to be, most importantly, you need to be relevant with at the right moment, with the right message and the right offer. So our people today in the world have, Probably, I don't know, access to 100x more brand choices that we used to do in 10 or 15 years ago. So we browse content just as much as we browse brand choices today. Impulse is much more planned than it used to be. And so the competitive set goes beyond the, the industry where you play. It has grown exponentially, especially from non-related industries. Again, now coming back to that jobs to be done uh, approach, we're competing not just with our our alikes. We're competing with every solution that can solve that problem um, within the journey of our uh, consumers and shoppers. Peter, don't you love how he said digital first is irrelevant, it's digital must. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you, Shri. Um, that, that is absolutely fascinating and it really speaks to the fact that we are, you know, we, heard, we, we talk about uh, herbivores and carnivores, uh, we're omnivores, right? We are omni-channel consumers of content in that respect. And we have to, we have to understand that. And so as a result of that, I love the fact that brands really have to be relevant in the moment. Uh, and that requires a lot of resources, right? Timely and relevant delivery of content. All right. So, well, my next question to you is, um, uh, in, in today's consumer experiences in digital, um, it's clearly very engaging. My question is, what about engaging consumers in store where arguably in food and beverage, 85, 90% of the volume is still occurring? You know, um, is that kind of engagement still largely linear? Is there a funnel, whereas there's not so much as a funnel necessarily in digital? People can come into the come in and, and make a purchase just about anywhere. What are your thoughts around the in-store activation and even how does digital play a role in that? 
Let me take a few steps back here because, you know, uh, driving engagement, one could argue, is relatively simpler. I mean, if you produce a highly relevant content, if you push it in the right channels or even pay to actually push it in the right channels with the right mediums, you'll get your engagement. Um, the challenge is how do you ensure that you design for the right value exchange between the brand and its respective audience. So even the pure entertainment entities are looking to maximize their monetization uh, potential of their engagement. So for me, engagement without that value exchange is inconsequential. And if you flip it, the value exchange without engagement is simply conceptual. So uh, I think if you, if you, if you start from there and you look at the in-store, um, engagement, it's going to experience a radical change going forward. I think the expectations that we have been creating in the digital environment are going to travel to the in-store and the physical platform. They're going to be demanded by, uh, by the shoppers and, and, and consumers. So in some, in most of part of the world, we, you know, have been trying to adapt to the clean store policies, but I think those will give place to an elevated shopping experiences where, you know, think about dynamic and interactive content are going to be at the heart of the execution skeletons. So shoppers are already becoming less loyal to their retail chains, uh, in simply for pure transactional, uh, reasons, right? Like, driven by the economic pressures that a lot of the households are, are experiencing in many parts of the world. So if the experiences are not elevated, our retailers are becoming more vulnerable to leakage. And the leakage is not simply from chain to chain, but the leakage can happen at any omni-channel journey entry point. So really making sure that how do we deliver a similar, exceptional, and memorable experience in the store, just like what they're experiencing in digital and from other industries is going to be a key a component of uh, our engagement in in-store uh, environment. How important is that, right? The in-store experience being equally stimulating, equally nice as the app experience or the website experience or any other digital experience one encounters while shopping. Nothing more, more important than for the grocery shopping trip that it be equally stimulating. So let me remind our audience that we are speaking with Walid Benchama. Global Director of Shopper Insights for none other than one of our favorite brands, Coca-Cola, from whom we've had several guests on this show. So in a world of omnichannel consumers, as we've been speaking to Walid, where the digital reach of most brands has exploded in the last three years, how are you personally ensuring that you are able to stay ahead as an insights leader in this space? And then from an insights perspective, are there specific suggestions you would give brands and our listeners on how to stay ahead in this space? Hmm. We've been going through um, a important marketing transformation at the Coca-Cola company. And one of the pillars was how do we become more digital centric in our brand building, in our commerce growth? So what we need to acknowledge is that those two disciplines can no longer be performed in silos. Um, we should rally all our troops to perform commerce marketing. And that means that the strategic and annual business planning need to be fully integrated. By that, I mean being consumer-centric, shopper-centric, and customer-centric as well, with end-to-end -end engagement and activation mechanisms. And we need to infuse those processes with the relevant human centricity at every single stage of the path to consumption and purchase, especially the early-on stage that tends to move too quickly 
and then we try to catch up at the end um, with the with the insights um, feeding. But the scary part, and I tend to look at it also as intellectually challenging, is that digital is forcing us to all compete in one arena. Like we're all equals. Um, no matter whether you're a leader brand, whether you're an explorer brand, we have similar chances of being noticed, um, chosen and engaged with uh, by our target audiences. So with people's decline, uh, attention span being reduced over the years, and it, for me, effectiveness becomes the metric that matters most. You have to ensure that everything you do out there is highly effective towards your objectives, especially in the digital platforms which are becoming more fragmented um, and not necessarily yet all consistent in their measurement capabilities. So I think from, a, from an industry perspective, we all have the accountability to work together as a collective system of manufacturers, retailers, and media um, to make sure that we have the right governance uh, to enable good and effective use of our resources in this. You know, I think it's challenging for everyone. And um, when you think about how People have learned so quickly to navigate um, new environments, unfamiliar environments. Sometimes I do sit and, and reflect, are we moving as fast and with the same agility as our audiences are? Well said, Willie. That's, um, <laughs> that's something Shreen and I talk about all the time, frankly. Um, our, our, our audiences that brands and retailers are talking to tend to be three or four steps ahead. And the question is, how do large scaled organizations that require resource deployment catch up to that? How can they be nimble? And I think that speaks quite quite truthfully when it comes to talent, right? We talk a lot about machine learning and AI as a mechanism not to replace people, but to relieve them from the dull, dreary, repetitive activities that uh, an algorithm can figure out and replicate. Um, so if we're able to do that, then obviously our talent is going to be focused on some of the higher level capabilities that those that kind of machine learning can, can address. So I guess my question to you is, to be successful in this new digital age with machine learning, right? Um, you got to have the right people, the right talent. Um, so from your perspective, looking at your background and insights, but then looking forward towards where this digital economy is taking us, what's going to make a good insights leader in the future? Like what's got to be built into your, your DNA, your infrastructure, right? That'll allow you to be really successful at growing brands in this world where brands all have a level playing field and the big guys don't necessarily have the advantage that they did where they invested in physical brick and mortar and all the resources to be successful there. I think one of the DNA sequences of a great insights leader to me should be made of, um, you have to have the passion and empathy for understanding people. Um, you need to have the curiosity for constantly uh, doing things differently um, and better. Um, not necessarily only being business savvy, but also being business integrated, because you need to play the right role, but also at the right uh, stages of the business planning process. You need to be able to take your insights from the what to the now what. Um, and I think that's one of the one of the pitfalls of, of, of being an insights practitioner is that you, you stop at the what stage. 
and then you forget to extract the the so what and most importantly the now what which is what your audience internally are going to mostly interact with and in my humble opinion i think um in order to do a, a great insight job um and to do it better and more creatively take the opportunity to walk in the shoes of your stakeholders spend some time in uh, the marketing organization in the brand management in in, in commercial um that will make you an even stronger business advisor. Um, and that's what actually helps the function become a competitive advantage um, for the company. So um, I like to think that we have a unique position um, in the organization to represent the voice of the people uh, we serve. And with that, we need to do it with integrity and accountability so that we deliver to the organization the, the, the added value that they expect from us and that they actually need to move the business forward. Peter, I couldn't agree more that cross-functional experiences around a person in terms, especially if you're going to take roles in uh, insights and explaining business outcomes, as well as where to focus in the future, commercial roles where you can actually understand how it's done day-to-day will help a person truly understand the inner workings versus staying superficially up top with a suggestion without understanding that underneath or down downstream there may be circumstances which may prevent that. What do you think, Peter? I agree, Shri. Um, for me, being able to, and we've talked about this, right? Bringing people from one discipline into another, in Waleed's words, walk in the shoes of those stakeholders is going to make you better at doing your job. You and I have talked at length about the fact that a successful, particularly a successful e-commerce operation necessitates bringing together everyone in the process. Too many people think of e-commerce in particular as they click the buy button and, and the process is over. You and I know that that's just when it starts because the customer satisfaction will be determined on what happens after they click that buy button, not before the buy button. Before the buy button, they're deciding whether they're going to invest the money. Once they have They don't want to be proven wrong. And so you have got to make sure that that product shows up on time or better in the condition and in the quality that you're expecting. If you don't do that, they're not going to come back and buy, and they're going to become a detractor to your brand, not an advocate for your brand. So I'm absolutely in agreement with Waleed on this, Shri. Well said, Peter, indeed. So I'm going to go, I'm going to stick to the point you just made about, hey, at the moment, they're buying, which is often known as and called as POS. You know, there's a lot that happens post, but there's a lot that happens while they're buying. And so POS and the checkout experience, why, Waleed, is that largely still not monetized? And then you come from a world of an impulse category. What tactics can a brand deploy to drive that impulsions and impulse and conversions at POS or the checkout experience? Hmm. Like, I, I'm not sure if you're going to fully agree with me on this one, but I, I, I think the answer is so obvious that sometimes I wonder why we haven't spent uh, quality time fixing it already. I mean, the pandemic has been a disaster to the traditional checkout as a, as a conversion zone. Um, we've been all forced to know, to learn how to close that last shopping step as fast as we could. It was a survival mechanism that we needed to get out of that store as quickly as possible, 
um, leaving little room to notice anything, let alone, you know, think about grabbing something extra. So when you combine that with the advancement that we see from the retailers in the seamless and frictionless checkouts experiences that even have reduced even further the ability to, um, the ability for impulse conversion. So where can we improve as a, as a CPG industry um, in, in, the, in that place? Well, the checkout zone, if you look at it, it's not engaging at all. Uh, most of the time it's pure passive availability and visibility with no contextualized consumption moment. So you're really relying on the shopper to do all the heavy lifting by just showing up. It's no longer enough. So the, if there is any messaging at all, it rarely taps into the proper emotional state and mindset that the shoppers are at that particular moment of their of their journey. And also, I've rarely seen um, actual behavioral nudges in that particular zone being executed. So if you think about all the self-checkout options as well that the retailers are developing, some are going almost 100% self-checkout. Um, it will offer less and less opportunity for us to create impulse-led conversion. So I think the limitation that we put on ourselves is looking at the checkout as the last step of the shopping experience. Like, this is it. This is the end. I think we, my invitation would be, how, why not looking at it as the beginning of another future uh, shopper journey? You can try to lock in your next trip. You can reward a shopper choice. You can remind of a consumption moment as they leave the store. You can inform about an innovation at that particular stage. So I think the checkout can play a much larger role than just impulse conversion. It can help you with future conversion as well. We just need to, um, I guess, break that mold of the traditional checkout um, experience and design around that particular touch point as just another step in an, you know, a looped experience journey that you want to build with your customers and shoppers. Well, Ida, I'm going to let Shreya ask our final question, which is a little more forward-looking, because there's something else I wanted to cover with you that it just occurred to me. If you talk about that experience, delivering content that is relevant at the right moment for the right value exchange, what are your thoughts on, like, we, call, we carry around these mobile devices, right? And they access us instantaneously to content. Um, how, is the ability to do this all going to be driven by the mobile app and your location? Or is there a connection between using the real estate on the packages, the products that are out there, connecting it with the mobile device, either through the retailer or directly through the brand create that? How do you see that connection being very pivotal, pivotal in, in enabling that right moment value exchange between, between the brand and the consumer? I'd love your thoughts on that. Look, I mean, if we, if we think a moment about how we, how we do our grocery shopping, if we're not at home sitting and scrolling, um, we're on our phone all the time. Um, and so imagine if you encourage your shoppers to, and you interest them most importantly, because you need to think about why would they even bother scanning anything to engage with us? Like you have to, to create that appeal and interest. But once it's done, you open the, the gates for engagement are open. So you can do many things there. You can, um, you know, push a portfolio. Um, you can, again, inform about an innovation. You can deliver reward with content. You can tease, you know, or, you know, fast forward the conversion. 
the possibilities are endless because they're doing it anyway. They're on their phone. So if you can make them be on their phone with your brand, you know, and create that, that two way connection and engagement with them, it, it, it opens the door to endless possibilities. Um, it's just, I think that again, being wired and looking at the journeys and the experiences you can deliver in a non-traditional way can also help us drive better partnerships with our retailers um, and create those experiences that are not only going to benefit us as brand, but also can drive traffic and drive loyalty to, to towards our customers. So the opportunities are there. I think that is just the, the, the big leap of saying, okay, out with the old uh, way of engaging with our audiences. Let's try new things. Let's experiment um, throughout the year. Have a calendar of trial and error type of activities that help you learn what works, what doesn't work. So we've been doing that at the company um, for, for a while now. It helps us um, understand, okay, how do we need to constantly improve and change our pipeline of, of activities? Uh, but you don't necessarily need to do it with scale from day one. You can pilot it, experiment, scale the experimentation, and then go fully national if there is potential um, uh, to do so. So I think that that's one thing that we don't, we don't do enough. We're caught in our regular business cycles. That also leaves little room for these type of conversations to happen often. Well said. And so here on the CPG guys, the final question we always ask is called fast forward. So we ask you to look into the future, right? A lot we've jointly declared a lot has happened in the last three years, lots of opportunities for brands, lots of options for retail. Heck, we even talked about the checkout experience. And so the last question I'd ask you to focus on where is insights headed? And I have to drop the proverbial hot word in the mix, artificial intelligence without the word AI. No conversations happen these days. Sometimes I feel like AI has forced itself into conversations. <laughs> so as funny as that may sound. So what do you think? Well, my main focus in the coming years will, will definitely be helping the business increase the effectiveness of our marketing um, at, the, at the platform of commerce. And, and how can we tap into AI to help, to help enable uh, that, that journey? So I would try to answer this in, in, in a series of, of of questions and answers. So um, as an insights practitioner, do I feel threatened by, by AI? Or do I even have a definite opinion about its potential um, and usefulness? No, not yet. Um, do I believe that AI can be an ally in my field? Definitely. I think initially where I see potential uh, of its usage is enabling us to focus our energy as practitioners in extracting insights as opposed to deal with all the rest of the value chain of creating knowledge uh, capital in an organization. Um, creating respondents digital twins. You don't need to go in field work every time, but if you have enough history of research and testing, you can literally recreate a respondent profile and use that as a filtering mechanism, as a screening. When you have vast amount of ideas and concepts, you want to shortlist them, digital twins can help you fast track that step and only focus on the ones that has the strongest potential. Um, we will be tasked to transform our existing knowledge to properly feed and train any AI solution we choose to develop internally. Um, but also AI can help 
can help us enable the organization to have a more speedy, um, more structured access to all the knowledge we've been creating um, for many years. So lots of research, lots of insights, knowledge gets lost. You know, people leave, platforms are sunsetted. Um, you know, not, not everybody has the discipline to archive the knowledge. So if you can use AI to constantly tap into what we already know, it will help us focus on our blind spots and also on the things that we don't know that we don't know instead of just recreating knowledge waste. Um, and the last piece probably is what everybody is talking about these days is, uh, am I worried um, about the way those AI solutions are designed? Definitely. I think I, I strongly believe that we need to de-bias the AI tools to be more inclusive, more representative. Um, it can be an utopian perspective, given that at the end of the day, these are made by humans. So humans come with their own sets of biases. Um, and so I think that putting more emphasis in making sure that the solution is not skewing one way or the other or representing the view of the of the designer, I think would be critical, especially in, in, in some sensitive fields. Um, and I will just leave the audience with that thought and, and love to hear what they're, what they're at in their respective journeys in embracing artificial intelligence. I'll tell you what an important topic that we just kind of very casually surfaced upon right there, right? But the reality, I think, of AI is what you said. Let's not create knowledge waste. What a very powerful statement, right? We got to leverage what we can in the best way possible without creating a knowledge waste, which a lot of happens in conversation. So let me remind our audience that you can find all of our content by simply going to a web browser and typing cpgcast.com or the URL. And if you think your company has some thought leadership to contribute to a growing community discussion, drop us an email at contact at cpgcast.com. That email again, contact at cpgcast.com. And maybe just like Waleed, you can join us on the podcast. Don't forget to drop us a rating at cpgcast.com on the navigation bar up top right. And thank you. Sincerely, Peter, me, and Brian want to say thank you to our nearly 25,000 followers on LinkedIn. We know that number is huge. Without you, this podcast doesn't exist. So thank you for coming back episode after episode, engaging on LinkedIn, and for being kind to us. Waleed, I want to thank you for appearing on the podcast with us today. Thank you so much for making time, man. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been the great pleasure. I believed it would be. So um, thanks again, and uh, can't wait to see what other pieces of thought leadership you're going you're gonna to offer us. Um, and you've been actually one of my best gym session partners. So this is where I listen to all the great interviews and helps me power through uh, my workouts. So thanks again. Good to hear that. And uh, hopefully we're inspiring others during their workouts as well, or perhaps riding a bike. But Peter, when you and I started this podcast in May, 2020, one of the things we talked about was we needed a channel which allowed people to be ambidextrous. And here we go. Podcasting is certainly that way. Peter, it's that time where I look forward to a summary of the great learnings. And there's a lot of sentences that he knowledge drop on us, which I hope we've captured here. So I'm looking forward to those. Your turn, Peter. He absolutely did. And he started off by using a term that you and I were first introduced to by our friend Michael Sikor at Five New Digital, which is unified commerce. That is that is a keyword that I don't think enough people have adopted yet. It's not so much e-commerce. It's not digital. It's all it's all encompassing of how digital enables so many of the processes that we used to just take for granted and and operate in a very manual manner. 
I also like the fact that he used the term human insight, Shrey. I think that's very important. Um, we are shoppers. We are consumers. We are, uh, we're all of the above. And the fact of the matter is that technology is going to enable us to, to be more horizontal in how we conduct commerce, because in reality, that's how we think. We think very horizontally, but we're forced by the nature of how commerce has evolved in the technology at the time to engage in it in a very vertical manner. We go in and find a specific product versus, as Waleed said, we can shop by the mood we're in or the occasion we're trying to solve for. Um, and and I really love the fact that he said digital or digital is a must, and it's but it's a must in that it's an enabler, uh, and that is um, that is pretty powerful. I love the fact that he said you have to if you're going to engage consumers, you have to design for the res, the right value exchange, and he used that a couple of times, right? Because you can create a really nice splash page or an app or whatever else. But if there's not a value derived from the, the audience you're targeting, they're not going to engage with it. And that's just the reality. So you have to think very purposefully about the value exchange that a brand is going to give. Um, I, and it's true that this the, the digital world has created to a degree a level playing field. Challenger brands have as much of a chance. And frankly, they were the ones that it, adopted things like Amazon advertising early, and that was to the detriment of large brands. They had the nimbleness. They figured it all out. It's come back into equilibrium as basically everybody's on that platform. But, you know, that that's something we need to think about. Um, and, and as a result of that, you know, retailers are very vulnerable to leakage um, because there are so many experiences that are out there. I mean, I think about my own personal wallet tree, how much I buy on things I see advertised on Instagram and what have you, new clothing for my daughter, other things like that, that I would have just gone to Target or, or Macy's or whatever for. And now a large, you know, double digit portion of my budget is going to retailers that I really never even considered in the past, didn't even know existed. Um, I think um, making sure that we have to be as, as brand manufacturers focused on commerce marketing where we're and i loved how willie called out brands need to be shopper centric they need to be consumer centric there's a difference between the two but you also have to be customer centric and that's what i mean by retailers all of them are part of the ecosystem of commerce and you have to be very deliberate about that and, and if you want to be successful and partner with people in your company to deliver that full scale experience end to end path to purchase you got to kind of walk in their in their footsteps to some degree so having cross pollination of responsibilities doing kind of like internships in other groups so you understand what they do really powerful that in and of itself is going to make you a very dynamic leader and it's going to enable you to think about how can you build that very powerful one-to-one -one relationship with a consumer. What's the right value exchange? Because once you've unlocked that value exchange, well, he'd really pointed it out extremely well, Shri. It opens up a floodgate of opportunities on how a brand can build loyalty with those consumers. Um, and AI can be a great enabler of that. But as Waleed so poignantly called out, so poignantly called out, the models that are being created are being done by humans, and humans have 
bias. And so how do we de-bias these models to make the out, the outcomes more inclusive of our entire society? Really just so soft spoken, but so incredibly poignant. I loved with what, what Wally shared with us today. Really great conversation. Thank you, Shrey. Great conversation. Great summary, Peter. Thank you for doing that. A pleasure to do this week over week with you. Wally, it was great to have you on the show. I'll say bye to our audience. We will see you soon on another episode of the CPG Guys shortly. Content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only. By listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPG Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPG Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.